0: Welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Tonight, we got a lot to break down, everybody. we got the Washington football team shocking the Pittsburgh Steelers 23-17, snapping the Steelers uh, 11-0 starting the season, and also freaking Josh Allen, you know, just decided to go off on everybody, most specifically the San Francisco 49ers, 34-24 Bills Mafia victory, with Josh Allen showing off for the majority of the evening. So I want to break down these two games. Also, as we do every Tuesday on this podcast, go through some of the waiver wire options for the week, not necessarily listing only guys I like, but just going through the people that I'm sure you'll be reading about across the industry and just trying to get my two two cents with that. So thank you as always for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, and let's get after it, everybody. Starting off with the football team's win over the Steelers. Yeah. So in this one, I mean, Steelers look like they were going to potentially run away with it. They went up 14-0 in the second quarter, touchdowns to Deontay Johnson and James Washington, 14-3 halftime lead. Just seemed like, you know, a ho-hum effort for the Steelers, even if it wasn't all that impressive, but not, 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 not so fast, though, my friends, as the wise man uh, Lee Corso uh, would say. Just nothing uh, doing for Pittsburgh offense in the second half. They had no run game throughout the game. No real explosive pass plays other than uh, James Washington getting that 50-yard touchdown in the first half. And to Washington's credit, that was more or less due to him uh, you know, just catching a short curl and running away from guys. So Claypool had one nice uh, 30-yard catch to set up uh, uh, the Deontay Johnson score in the first place, but for the most part, just not any big plays out of this offense. We saw Ben Rosberger throw for 305 yards and a pair of scores took him 53 pass attempts to do so. Uh, Give Alex Smith a lot of credit for the comeback you know he was able to find Logan Thomas for a score it got pretty wide open on a pick but you know touchdowns a touchdown as they uh, like to say I'm sure as the kids say and also uh, Alex Smith should have probably had second touchdown Logan Thomas but he got brought down just short of the goal line and Peyton Barber was able to punch it across shortly afterwards so Ben had a chance at the end to maybe take him down and tie it but uh, first pass to drive ended up being uh, tipped at the line of scrimmage and then picked off so Alex Smith Washington football team sitting out five and seven were able to knock off the big bad uh, Pittsburgh Steelers want to quickly dive into some more specifics here mentioned with Lossberger, but everything was so short in this one. I mean, anytime you average 5.8 yards per attempt, you know, you're going to have problems, and we've seen this really through most of the year, but really in recent weeks, because in the first part of the, sh- of the season, they were trying to still run the ball with James Conner, despite having, you know, this low dot passing game, but more and more over the past five, six weeks, even in games that the series have comfortably controlled, and again, they were up a couple, multiple scores at halftime in this one as well, but we have seen them, you know, fully shift to a pass-first offense, and we're just not getting the same sort of deep ball goodness that we've seen, you know, in past versions of the Steelers offense so you know what in fantasy football we're getting we're usually getting full point per reception scoring doesn't really matter for us so, so when we see Deontay Johnson with eight catches Eric Ebron with seven and you know even Juju Schuster with seven even though these guys didn't have you know the best games and by the best games I mean both Deontay and Ebron dropped at least three passes each uh truly not good performances by them but you know what you don't lose drops uh you don't lose fancy points for drops in in the game so we we you know gotta, gotta play the uh, cards were dealt and all that and because of that uh you know even though Deontay and Ebron has some serious drop issues. We got to continue to go the well with these guys in fantasy football. I mean, Johnson, 71 yards and a touchdown. Ebron had 68 scoreless yards himself. Doesn't exactly make sense why these guys are getting so heavily utilized over Chase Claypool. You know, as someone that's watched every Steelers game this year, it's pretty clear that Claypool is their best wide receiver, at least in the year 2020. And look at the snaps. Juju played 57, Deontay 54, James Washington 36 snaps, and Chase Claypool 28. So, Ravier McLeod was also out there for five snaps. But it's just confusing because Claypool, look, he is not DK Metcalf. Please do not confuse my words up with that. But he is one of these guys where you see when every time Rossberger looks downfield to him, good things tend to happen. He did draw at least one defensive pass interference on downfield shot this game. And only four targets. Like, I would like to see four or five targets just on those downfield deep shots alone. uh, You know, not even counting the stuff he can do in the red zone just with the ball in his hands. So Claypool needs to be utilized more. I think he's been their most explosive player on offense all season long, even with Deontay Johnson generally being good with the ball in his hands. In my opinion, Chase Claypool is the best wide receiver on the Steelers. If they want to reach their potential on offense, I think they're going to need much more of the attack to float through him. Steelers' running game was a mess. Benny Snell, 32 snaps, Jalen Samuels, 24, and Anthony McFarlane just 11. Snell led the way with eight carries, just five yards, though. I mean, it was brutal at one point. They got down to the one-yard line because of Snell. He got them there. Then they tried to throw him a target in the end zone. That got knocked down. And then Snell got stuffed, not one, not two, but three times at the goal line. So they really just ignored the running game after that. You know, Anthony McFarlane, you know, four carries for 15 yards. They tried to throw him, uh, you know, slugger route on a freaking fourth and one that, you know, the announcers were kind of critiquing. Anthony McFarland for not having the body control to come down with it. What are you doing throwing a freaking iso route to Anthony McFarland on fourth and one line it up and run it or throw it to one of your you know just insanely more talented wide receivers or even tight ends that can deal with something of this magnitude a little bit better. So disappointing from these running backs and you know, we knew without James Conner in there, it's going to be a little bit up and down the fact that this offense has no I you know no plans of giving someone like snow even anything close to 15 carries uh, cements him as more of a you know low end RB three at best uh, throughout james Conner's absence unfortunate situation here with this pittsburgh steelers backfield and this you know version of the offense is not getting any sort of consistent usage mentioned the uh, drops from Deontay counted three of them this is the second straight week he's had multiple drops hey he's not losing the snaps that seems to be Claypool and Washington doesn't uh, make much sense but it's just wild that Deontay can go from looking like a perennial wide receiver one one moment I mean again he has the route running goodness and the uh, yards after the catch ability to truly you know deserve a lot of the hype he's gotten but all these drops and you just look at his yards per target numbers and some of the efficiency metrics not exactly what you want to see out of someone that we're all hoping can kind of rise to the top of this uh, Steelers receiving room so it's another 20 point you know fancy effort pretty much every game he's been healthy in this year he's been putting up fancy numbers so again even though he's had these drop problems we don't care in fancy land he's an upside wide receiver too every single week but I guess it's the fact that he's still being this good despite leaving so many yards on the table uh, that's so frustrating for everyone to watch so hey Deontay you know good game out there you were able to get those fancy points we're looking for but you know catch those balls that you're dropping and all of a sudden we're talking about a legit wide receiver one potentially uh, Juju seven catches for 28 yards just as not have the burst it's sad to see he doesn't look like he's all there physically and yeah we're not getting that yak that used to really make him as a receiver uh yeah eric ebron mentioned those drops as well just overall disappointing performance from the steelers definitely a game they had you know a chance uh, plenty of chances to win throughout and they just unfortunately could not get it done when it matters so credit to the washington football team though for getting this win i don't you know similar to the seahawks giants yesterday i know a lot of people are gonna come out and just say oh you know the seahawks blew it the steelers blew it now we gotta get some credit to the guys that were able to knock off you know the big bad final boss and Alex Smith, you know he's uh, he's had an up and down, you know, uh, experience this year. I think, but really over the past few weeks, he has been starting to play good, just in that terms of being a game manager and not being someone that is just allergic to throwing the ball downfield. Don't get me wrong. We saw plenty of checkdowns in this one, but if they're just literally not going to cover them, okay, we'll take freaking 10 targets to J.D. McKissick for 10 catches and 70 yards. Like, the issue has never really been dumping the ball down. We see plenty of offenses dump the ball down. Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo are playing under Kyle Shanahan, one of the smartest offensive coaches, if not the smartest offensive coach in the entire league. Those are two of your bottom five quarterbacks in terms of average target depth. So every team's different, but just the single act of not throwing downfield doesn't mean an offense can't still be great to Alex Smith's success, you know, most of the shots he was taking downfield were usually on target. Terry McLaurin had a chance at about a 40-yarder that went off his hands. It was in double coverage. It would have been a tough catch, but one we usually like to see him come down with. You know, it was a disappointing game from uh, Terry. Only two catches on six targets, 14 yards. Just realized Pittsburgh was really going out of their way to try to limit him and what he was able to do out there. So McLaurin, really, the only other bust he had all year was against the Rams. So, you know, Rams and Steelers, arguably the two best defenses in the league. Uh, Not the worst performances to have, you know, your bad games against. Just realized mcclorn he's someone that's been you know getting 50 yards and or a touchdown almost on a, a weekly basis throughout this year he's going to continue to be that you know borderline wide receiver one if not just locked in top 10 option he's been all year uh here moving forward these wide receivers shout out cam sam's five catches 92 yards on nine targets this guy uh, his he didn't quite have the target qualifier but has truly been one of the best yards after the catch wide receivers all year long he had a hurdle in this one which is always good always enjoy when one human jumps over another human that never gets old no matter how many times uh, we see it he did drop a touchdown like smith hit him in the chest on a potential goal line fade but he made up for it later had an awesome one-handed catch to pretty much put them in position uh, to kick the go-ahead field goal so good game from cam sims look alex smith threw the ball 46 times in this game we saw in past matchups against you know the Cowboys and uh, the one before that like when they're able to get up and get a lead Alex Smith is not throwing the ball more than 30 times so don't get it twisted it's still only Terry McLaurin that we're really interested in this uh, wide receiver room uh, in in terms of fantasy land but Cam Sims is someone that can make the most out of his limited opportunities and that would be something to keep in mind if we see this Washington football team on many more uh, single game slates here moving forward Uh, I would also mention Logan Thomas great game 9 catches 98 yards and a score mentioned now he could have almost had Second score, but he was down uh, just short of the goal line. They tried a funky play. The result didn't work out, but I didn't hate the process. They've done this a couple times. We've talked about this on this podcast where usually Logan Thomas gets like a snap a game as a quarterback. It was fourth and one. They motioned him, you know, under center. He took the snap and then just handed it to McKissick on a jet sweep. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, but I like what they're doing with Logan Thomas. You know, he's one of these guys out there. Him and Trey Burton, pretty much the only tight ends that we can expect. any sort of, you know, wildcat rushing, throwing, uh, just added goodness from him. With Logan Thomas, we've now seen it pay off, you know, in uh, different ways uh, over the weeks. You know, he had the touchdown, I believe against the Cowboys uh, throwing the ball. And, hey, he's been doing some things. I don't remember if it was specifically a touchdown, but he did complete a pass, I'm pretty sure. Uh, sent us down a tweet, but I truly think that Logan Thomas, referencing him, you know, having played quarterback in the past, that's the new Chris Hogan used to play lacrosse. So I know I'm the one that brought it up here. But in general, let's uh, try to cut down on that. I think we all realize at this point that Logan Thomas has uh, played quarterback in his past. Uh, we're looking at this running game real quick. J.D. McKissick, 51 snaps. Peyton Barber, 23 snaps. If you're wondering why I haven't said Antonio Gibson's name yet, Please take a seat. All right, you sitting? turf toe everybody. Antonio Gibson played four snaps, ripped off a freaking dope I think it was 13 yard run, might have been 12 it was 13 yard run, and after that was not able to return to the game, so he was real doubtful, you know, with this toe injury, looking like something that's absolutely going to hinder him moving forward, and it's just incredibly unfortunate because Gibson, you know, 11 rushing touchdowns coming in this game, uh, was someone that just seemed to be improving as the year went on, and we were actually starting to see them expand his passing game role so, you know, truly Gibson was getting those 15 plus rushes per game, and with the potential to get these 10 targets that we saw McKissick having this one and you know, we were looking at a potential high-end RB1 doesn't look like that will be the case in 2020 but Gibson I really think is going to potentially be a top 12 pick in fantasy football leagues of all shapes and sizes uh, come next August in 2021 hopefully the injury isn't you know as severe as it look but does not look good for Antonio Gibson fantasy football managers if he is out Look, I mean it's, it's game script was iffy in this one. Just realized going in this game, I know Peyton Barber jammed in the touchdown, but 86 players had at least tw- 86 running backs had at least 25 carries going in this game. Peyton Barber was dead last in yards after contact per rush. So I know he's not Gibson and McKissick because he can't catch the ball, but just cuz you can't catch the ball doesn't mean you're necessarily a good inside runner, you know, between the tackles. And I think that describes Peyton Barber to a T. I have no idea why he's consistently got so much run over the past 2 years, but hey, he is. So You know, situation where I don't think we should be expecting too many points week in and week out from this offense and they have shown they're willing to uh, give JD McKissick a pretty big load as well so Barber even if he is going to be the starter uh, you know in a Gibson's potential absence I still think McKissick is going to be far and away the better fantasy option Um, I think that's about it quickly on Alex Smith yeah just a freaking soldier out there guys I mean his other leg not the one he messed up but absolutely dripping blood you know before halftime I guess he got cleated by the center and he just kept playing through it and doing his thing so took three sacks numerous big hits in this one you know hasn't always been pretty with Alex Smith we talk about him dinking and dunking I still don't agree with the way they've handled you know Dwayne Dwayne Haskins and you know just from the perspective that clearly Alex Smith is playing good football like I'm not saying Haskins is even better uh, for this Washington football team in 2020 but first round quarterback is like the most valuable just trade piece in all of football and they have just pretty much tanked uh what they had in him so hey credit the Washington football team this was an awesome win Alex Smith was a big reason why Moving on to the Bills' victory over the 49ers, 34-24. Josh Allen was just absolutely lights out this entire game, everybody. I was expecting him to fall off after the first half because how could you not? I mean, he was 19 for 23, 236 yards and two scores at the half. He finishes 32 for 40, 375 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, just one sack. We didn't even have the usual, okay, we did lose one Josh Allen fumble. I was about to say, turnover-free performance in this economy, no freaking way, not quite. But still an amazing game from Josh Allen, you know, really from start to finish. Okay, the 49ers, they were seemingly pretty stubborn about getting away from their kind of base defense. You know, we've seen them over the years, really, and by over the years, I mean mainly this year and last year, but with that pass rush, they usually have it here is so effective at shutting down opposing offenses, allows their cornerbacks to sit more on underneath routes and create turnovers that way. You know, they were just trying, they couldn't get any pressure on Josh Allen all night. And I think the stat they showed at halftime was he was 14 for 15 against zone coverage. So unfortunately, didn't really see the 49ers get off of their original game plan and Josh Allen just kept picking them apart uh, because of it. But don't get like, do not think that this was a situation where Allen was just taking one easy throw after another. There was, I think it was their second drive. He went down. And he made a throw to Gabriel Davis over the middle that was maybe the best throw I've ever seen him make. You know, over the linebacker in front of the safety, right into a spot with the cornerback on Davis's hip. But that same drive, you know, rolling out to his right, hitting Beasley downfield, hitting Diggs on the sideline, like just one extended play dart after another. Josh Allen truly forces you to defend every square inch of that field for better and for worse. And for t- the most part of 2020, it has definitely been for the better for Bills, uh, Mafia, and fantasy football managers alike. So Josh Allen, QB one season, keeps on QB keeping on and the entire idea that you know John Brown was going to be the guy to really limit him uh, you know in this game just I, I never agree with and we talked about that on the podcast we don't need to rehash it too much but again like be careful with player on off splits it's already a small enough sample size with a 16 game season now we're taking 11 games out of that and we want to you know pick three of them where John Brown didn't play again there were other situations to go into those splits including John Brown you know briefly playing in a Rams game that Josh Allen went off in I just never agree with the idea that John Brown who is a great NFL wide receiver but Gabriel Davis isn't bad and Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley are probably better than John Brown you know objectively speaking you know we still have all that talent out there against a defense that was still missing so many defensive linemen despite you know getting Sherman back I just did not think it was enough of a reason to severely downgrade Josh Allen hopefully you agreed uh, with me we have been rewarded for sticking to the Josh Allen QB1 plan but, yeah, got to give credit to these wide receivers. Cole Beasley had a career high in receiving yards by halftime, nine catches, 130 yards, and his score on day. Just too much sauce for Cole Beasley. Guy keeps on keeping on. We've been giving him some credit on this podcast throughout the year for really setting career high numbers across the board. You know, it wasn't that long ago he left the Cowboys and said that he just thought the Bills uh, were a better situation for him. Well, Cole, you were 100% right, man. Good for you. Uh, Stefan Diggs couldn't find the end zone, but caught 10 or 11 targets for 92 yards. I mean, at the end of the game, you know, it seemed like every single third and fourth down that the Bills were getting in, they just freaking were able to get Diggs usually one on one against Jason Barrett, and he just could not do anything against so some of the routes Diggs was showing out. Uh, you know, out there with oh my goodness, only had a long of 18, but just one you know underneath intermediate target after another. I don't think we ever anticipated Diggs are showing this high of a chemistry level with Allen this early, but I think it's a testament to just how good Diggs is. Last year in Minnesota, I mean, he led all wide receivers and yards on deep balls, but they pretty much used Adam Adam Thielen as their guy to you know work in the intermediate areas of the field, or they just you you know, ran the hell out of the ball with Dalvin Cook. We are truly seeing Stefan Diggs dominate the field underneath, intermediate, deep. And, you know, to see people like Richard Sherman out there just really not sure how to even defend him at some points, uh, I think it just speaks to the fact that really nobody in today's NFL can consistently hang with Stefan Diggs for 60 minutes. Gabriel Davis, number three wide receiver, had a touchdown. I will say, you know, this was a touchdown that you know, I would say falls more into the Michael Pittman school of it's not really being due to his overwhelming talent or anything like that. We'll take all the fantasy points, but just realize, you know, three catches, 68 yards and the score like Sherman was pretty much expecting a curl or an out route from the slot player. Just read it wrong. And he let Gabriel get right behind him. And there was no one within 10 yards of him when he caught the ball in the end zone. So just four targets. It does seem like Josh Allen is fine, you know, pretty much force feeding Beasley and Diggs uh, to his heart's desire. I don't think Davis is gonna be more than, you know, a boomer bus wide receiver four here during Brown's absence. It's more of a DFS uh, stacking partner than anything. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie also had a touchdown And Dawson Knox. Just awesome designing from uh, uh, Brian DeBole and just, you know, Buffalo Bills. Uh, just coaching staff all as a whole. I mean, Josh Allen freaking killed it, everybody. I love it. This was a really fun uh, game to watch. And one more quick note. I know he did have the uh, bad flop. You know, it was a v- very, very questionable uh, rough in the passer penal- penalty. People. Winners focus on winning. Losers focus on winners. You're all just focusing on Josh Allen. You know, let the guy have some success. Bill's Mafia winning a Monday Night Football game. You got to love it. Uh, quickly on the 49ers. Nick Mullins, you know, didn't play as bad of a game, I think, as maybe his uh, final numbers outlined. 316 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. But, you know, should have had a, not, not should have, but almost had a fourth touchdown where he threw it a little bit behind Kendrick Bourne. They initially ruled a score unfortunately got overturned and then when he stepped back to pass uh the next play we tried to roll up and then end up getting picked off by Tredavious White so you know first touchdown just short little two-yarder Brandon Ayuk on a slant also got Kyle check in the flat and then was able to get a garbage time one in the back of the end zone to Jordan Reed so made several nice throws throughout the game I mean truly he almost got picked uh early on in the second half and then the next play he threw a pass rolling out to Ross that was truly uh you know exactly where he needed to be so even one of his interceptions uh I mentioned the issue of Trey White on the goal line, but his other pick hit Brandon Ayuk in the hands before popping up and going to defender. So Nick Mullins, I mean, truly was not the reason they lost this game. It was more the 49ers defense not being able to stop Josh Allen then just, I think, some instances of this run game, for example, you know, only 80, 86 yards and 21 carries. And I mentioned Ayuk, so, you know, letting that ball hit off his hands. So I, I don't want to say Ayuk was uh, too bad. He definitely made up for it. But, you know, just realize Nick Mullins... You know, still pretty damn good backup quarterback. We've seen some issues this year. And, you know, some people want to go as far as saying that, you know, you can challenge Jimmy G. I don't hate it. You know, still give me Jimmy G. But he is certainly someone that we don't want to be giving up on just yet. The wild graphic they showed during his prog- during the broadcast. Only, peop- only quarterbacks in NFL history were more passing yards than Nick Mullins in his first 13 starts. Patrick Mahomes, Andrew Luck. You know? it's one of those uh you know i saw the nba like kind of uh similar list that someone had it was like wilt chamberlain lebron james like larry bird and then thaddeus young so hey maybe it's one of those lists you know the reason i was touting uh chris herndon all freaking offseason was because he had a similar you know 12 tight end list so i understand sometimes you'll get the exceptions to these great rules like chris herndon looks like he probably will be maybe that's nick mullins but also you know that is a hell of a lot of production and it's certainly a good list to find himself on after just 13 starts Running game was frustrating for the 49ers. Raheem Mostert led the way with just 21 snaps. And these are unofficial numbers, uh, everyone, by the way. So it might have been a little bit more. I had to pull these you know, mid-fourth quarter. So stay tuned. Uh, check out my running back article out Wednesday uh, for the full backfield report. But he was at 21, Jeff Wilson 17, Tevin Coleman only 2, and McKinnon uh, just 1. So it really was Mostert flipping uh, with Jeff Wilson for most of this game. Uh, you know, they both did good. Mostert's 42, car- 42 yards and 9 carries. Wilson 47 yards on a 7 carries carries, but most of them, man, he's just so fast. I wish they would get this guy 15 touches per game, no matter what. He, the only two players since 2016 per next-gen stats to reach at least 23 miles per hour with the ball in their hands, Raheem Mostert and Tyreek Hill. Truly, everybody. He is fast, fast. You see him move at a different speed with the ball in his hands. Unfortunately, we didn't see him get more opportunities in this one. I'm going to go back to well with Mostert as an RB2 next week. I just think in a better game script, we will see him get over that 15 carry mark. But having Wilson this involved is not ideal. Only other note about this backfield. Tevin Coleman got completely lit up when he randomly came into the game at the goal line. It was like, oh my goodness, man. Hope you were uh, staying ready because that looked painful with these wide receivers. Mentioned, Ayuk had that bad play with the pick. Don't, you know, be hard on him because he also had an awesome 49 yard catch down the sideline. He twisted up Tredavious White, you know, a man-on-man coverage a couple times and was just really getting open all all evening long. So, Debo Samuel had six six catches, 73 yards and nine targets. Actually, a little bit more beyond the line of scrimmage uh, than normal. Coming in this game, Debo Samuel had more yards after the catch than he actually did receiving yards. The majority of his targets are, you know, just those pop passes or screens behind the line of scrimmage. It's going to be very interesting to see how you know the kind of kind of final uh rankings go for 2021 with these 49ers wide receivers i can see it being a situation where samuel and iok should be fairly evenly uh you know uh, located in their you know just average draft position but wouldn't it be shocked if we do see some sort of disparity might be able to take advantage because i really think both samuel and iok are incredibly talented and next year you know with a full season with jimmy g and the offseason uh, and shanny really getting them going we could see both these guys be potential top 25 options at the position uh not too many more notes. I think I missed the Bills' backfield real quick. Zach Moss actually had a fumble on the two yard line. He got dinged up before it, but either way, he didn't really play the rest of the game. Devin Singletary dominated uh, usage with 50 snaps, and Moss only had 11. So Singletary, you know, 61 yards on his 18 carries. He wasn't able to find the end zone, added 22 receiving yards. So pretty empty 21 touches. But hey, if they really are going to put Moss on the bench like this, Singletary could get back into that RB2 mode. The only issue is Josh Allen usually doesn't make a habit of checking the ball down. He's also so, you know, just as likely to score a goal line touchdown as anyone. So, usually can't get two behind Singletary or Moss, and it's not so fancy friendly backfield. But if we take away Moss, we can actually get back to firing back up Singletary with some confidence. Shout out Bills Mafia and Washington football team. Again, great wins for the squad. Now let's get on to some waiver wire stuff, everybody. So make sure you check out PFF.com. We'll have some waiver wire stuff up this week that goes into more specifics. But again, I just look at some articles around the industry, you know, uh, looked at some injuries just to see kind of who the natural waiver wire people are going to be. Got my thoughts on the following 10 guys. So without further ado, uh, some waiver wire thoughts for week 14. Uh, First up, Jalen Hurts, Eagles backup maybe maybe the starting QB he came in last week for Carson Wentz we got Doug Peterson coming out saying he hasn't made a decision yet usually when they start wavering on the starting quarterback they do go to the backup so not this week everybody we're not getting Jalen Hurts for this week because you know we still don't know if it's going to be fully him or if it's going to be some sort of two quarterback system with him and Carson Wentz and either way we got a situation where he's playing the New Orleans Saints defense that has just been a buzzsaw uh, really since their week nine by so Saints on defense are playing or excuse me since their week six by I believe either way. Saints defense playing some fantastic ball. You know they've just really only been rivaled by the Rams and Steelers ever since uh, their bye week, and because of that, I want nothing to do with Jalen Hurts in his first potential uh, career start. But just realize, after that, guys, we got the Cardinals in Week 15, and the Cowboys in Week 16. Jalen Hurts rushed for 3,200 yards and 43 scores at Bama and Oklahoma. This guy is legit sub four six speed at 220 pounds. I mean, with a full starting job, he's going to push for 10 plus carries easily. So as we're seeing with Taysom Hill, even if he's not as developed as a passer yet, which I'm not even saying Hurts couldn't be. He threw a beautiful uh, deep ball to Rager in that game on Sunday, and he also had the pretty touchdown uh, to Greg Warden in fourth and 18. So, I'm not even trying to say Hurts is, you know, a Taysom Hill as a thrower, but he's going to have that Taysom Hill rushing role. And Taysom, over these past three weeks, has the fourth most fantasy points from rushing, regardless of position. So, when these quarterbacks can get 10 to 15 carries, truly a fantasy football cheat code, please try to get Jalen Hurts. I think he could be a legit top 12 quarterback in weeks 15 and 16 when we need him most in the fantasy football playoffs Jets running back Ty Johnson I'm not really in on Ty guys look if nothing changes in the Jets backfield we can treat him as you know maybe a top 30 option but I've been telling you guys this All season with Lamichael Piron, Frank Gore, whoever the next guy up is after, you know, Le'Veon Bell's exit. And I just, I'm not convinced that Ty Johnson's going to all of a sudden get, you know, this ridiculous workload. Maybe he just had the first 100 yard rushing game for the Jets under Adam Gase, but, you know, we need Gore to stay in the concussion protocol. Piron isn't eligible to return until next week at the earliest. Doesn't even, you know, sound like he necessarily has a chance to, uh, regardless. But we'll see. Josh Adams still gets some touches and they're going to add somebody uh, to the equation. So, hey, will the person that's added to the equation you know really be good enough or have enough trust to overtake ty johnson or josh adams i don't know ty johnson was not on the freaking team until a couple weeks ago so it's just a tough situation to really feel too good um, about you know ty because i don't know that we can feel good about anybody in this offense so credit to sam Donald. i mean they put up some points against the raiders you know and should have really won that game if it wasn't for their freaking defensive coordinator who has since been fired uh you know shout out greg williams Uh, good call man that worked out uh but you know 28 points against the raiders will take it just realize you know this is still the league's 32nd ranked scoring offense. And the Seahawks, while they actually have been playing a little bit better lately, I just don't think it's a quite the matchup we want to truly attack. But uh, tune back in for our Wednesday edition of this podcast. I want to talk a little more about maybe Darnold's streaming potential in this matchup. I don't think so, but it will be interesting because the Seattle Seahawks passing defense in particular has uh, been a lot of trouble. So I know Wayne Gallman has some success, but I just think Ty Johnson in this offense uh, doesn't quite have the same firepower. So Ty Johnson, I am staying away. Cam Akers is something we got to keep an eye on. So he was a DMP on Monday's esti- uh, practice estimation. For those that don't know, uh, when a team plays on Thursday, which the Rams are this week against the Patriots, they don't practice on Monday, but the NFL asked them to report an estimated practice, uh, you know, estimation. So I saw some, you know, people just saying, hey, maybe they're resting him out for that big workload. I don't think they would say that, you know, for a practice that didn't happen, that he missed it with a shoulder injury if there was just nothing going on there. Clearly, he is dinged up to some extent. And because of that, we need to adjust. Just accordingly guys like I feel like everyone wants Cam Akers to break out of this backfield situation so bad we aren't looking at this with like a clear mind Daryl Henderson suffered a knee injury in the first half last week that's why Cam Akers ended up playing 60% of snaps and had 20 plus carries while the rest of these guys weren't as involved what did McVay say in the post game all three of those backs did a great job contributing this is what he's been saying all freaking year they started Cam Akers in week one I understand Henderson was hurt but like he came back he had great plays against Washington it's not like Cam Akers has done nothing all season long he's made good plays they just continuously use all three guys so at least Malcolm Brown at this point in the season is not really a threat to the overall carries he's going to go out there for some short yards some pass down work just situations where they trust him but it's going to be Akers or Henderson as the lead back the problem is if Akers at less than 100% then he's not going to be you know as viable to be that lead guy on a weekly basis so honestly Henderson is probably the one that we got to feel a little bit better about for this week depending on what the shoulder injury is so maybe it's nothing but either way fully expecting all three backs to continue to be involved. And hey, it's maybe the lead back is gonna get, you know, this 15 20 touches, but I don't think it's clear cut. And I think uh, you know, with the way that we are seeing all three guys continue to be involved, we can't really rank either as more than a borderline RB2 at best. So, you know, hey, I want Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson over Ty Johnson for sure. But the running back I actually think we should be focusing on purely for week 14 goodness, everybody, it's Adrian Peterson. Don't don't stop the podcast just yet. Hear me out. Look. First game post map, Patricia. I did not think the Lions' focus would be getting Adrian Peterson the ball. I was wrong. He had his most carry since week three. I mean, look, in weeks 11 to 12, this is all without DeAndre Swift. Peterson had only played 30 and 27% of the snaps. Week freaking 13 jumped up to 47%. So, Caron Johnson, still right there at 44%. But Carrion was playing more in games that Detroit was losing in a negative game script. This was a game they were actually, you know very much in throughout the way. So, excuse me. No, no, no. I said that wrong. Uh, This is a game that they were also losing. They've been losing the past three weeks. They they were able to come back. But this game, Adrian Peterson still led the way despite them losing. So this was an actual usage shift, one that, you know, cannot be explained by just a change in game script uh, like we see in other situations. So I understand it's Adrian Peterson, but he just keeps scoring touchdowns. He's not going to score two touchdowns every single week, but he is the guy in this offense that is in line to get these goal line rushes. And they've been consistent about it. And now, if we were going to a tougher matchup, that'd be one thing. But we're not. We are now facing the Green Bay Packers defense. That's the third worst position, or third worst fantasy defense to RBs, other than Detroit and Houston. So... Dauphin Cook has five rushing touchdowns against him in two games. Ronald Jones up for 113 and two touchdowns. Todd Gurley went for 57 yards and two touchdowns. David Montgomery had 103 yards on 11 carries against this Packers defense. It's a dream spot for Adrian Peterson. Again, like, it's weird. I understand it. I did not expect, you know, to be sitting here on freaking December 7th telling you to play soon to be, or, you know, yeah, there will be 36 in March. Old man AP. I think that is the reality we're in. He is likely going to be a top 24 option in week uh, 14 as long as DeAndre Swift remains sidelined with the illness. If Swift is back, you know I'm probably going to rank him as more of an RB2 and an RB1, just considering to see this whole illness thing play out. He's cleared the concussion protocol. AP said that he's not, you know, feeling 100% still. I'm talking about Swift not feeling 100%. So I don't know. Swift was, you know, getting freed and really seemed like he had that RB1 role unlocked. But if he comes back, we're probably going to take it just a little bit slower uh, than we'd like to. Kiki Cutie from the Texans. Look, he has more than six targets in five career games. Now And in those performances, he's had 11 catches for 109 yards, five catches for 77 yards, eight catches for 141 yards, five catches, 68 yards, six catches, 51 yards in a score and 11 catches for 110 yards in a score. So actually six games, but either way, at least five catches in every single one of them, at least 50 yards. And he was able to score in two of them as well. So look, Kiki, he's a slot receiver. Like he played behind in this one, Brandon cooks and uh, Scott Hanson as well. But you know, still playing over 75% of the offensive snaps. And we just need to realize in this passing game, it's Cooks one, Cootie two, and Hanson three, even if the snaps are a little bit lower. So, you know, you look at this, uh, you know, I, I don't even know that we want to start necessarily Cootie against the Bears or against the Colts uh, the following week. But week 16, the Houston Texans play the Bengals. Oh, I guess what's made the whole Will Fuller thing that much more disheartening. He would be a freaking top 10 option uh, in that spot. But look, we were talking super high upside for week uh, 16. So Kiki Cootie, if he's out there on the waiver wire, I understand. You're probably not going to be slotting them in these next two matchups. If you are in the fantasy playoffs and you have a pretty good squad, but week 16 could be that legit week that we were going to Kiki expecting a big performance. He's solid, but more than anything, Deshaun Watson's a freaking God. And we want God's, uh, you know, number one and number two wide receivers more times than not. T.Y. Hilton is someone that's had four catches 81 yards and eight catches 110 yards and a score over the past two weeks. Guys, he didn't even reach 70 yards or score once in weeks one through 11. So, look, as, we've, as I've cautioned you on Michael Pittman, as I said, I just think this offense is too crowded and we aren't seeing you know enough sustainable production to expect it to continue. Same story with T.Y. Hilton. Since the Colts week seven by, Pittman has 32 targets. Hines has 30. Hilton has 28. Zach Pascal is 26. Trey Burton, 22. And then we got Mo Alley Cox, Marcus Johnson, Jonathan Taylor, even Jordan Wilkins. Have between 11 and 18, so truly the most crowded passing game in the league. And I get it; they're facing the Raiders and the Texans next. I mean, Hilton and Pittman are boomer bust wide receiver threes. It's just impossible to fire up either with any level of confidence. So you know, Hilton, to me, you're getting a Tim Patrick guy there. It's not that big of a difference between, between Hilton and Tim Patrick. You're getting someone in a passing game that, while they do flash some upside from time to time, we just don't exactly know. Uh, you know, we do know what kind of upside ends up being uh, for the individual parts, and that is of the boomer bust variety. Uh, Moving on to Tim Patrick. Honestly, I think I'd rather have Tim Patrick over Tim over uh, T.Y. Hilton the rest of the season, just because it's far less more of a condensed passing game in Denver than it is in Indianapolis. So, give me Tim Patrick. You look, if you remove the practice squad wide receiver game uh, from his uh, just schedule, which makes sense, I think that's reasonable to do. He scored and/or surpassed 100 yards in six of his last eight games. This is not, you know, a two-game streak for Patrick. This is a situation where we have seen him really, you know, see six to eight targets more weeks than not. He only had four last week, but scored on two of them. He's a Taking place throughout the year. So Jerry Judy's been the guy we've been hoping to emerge from this offense, but at some point we gotta get hit in the head enough times to realize that Tim Patrick is looking more and more like the number one wide receiver in Denver. So like T.Y. Hilton, you know, it's not someone I'm gonna have inside my top 30 and just be, you know, absolutely pound the table for you guys to go out there and start. But worse guys to have than the projected, you know, number one to number two uh, wide receiver in pretty much any offense. That is starting to also apply to Colin Johnson. So weirdly, even with Chris Conley back, we saw Colin Johnson play ahead of him. I would just caution this one guys there's some streamer appeal going on with the Jaguars because they're facing the Titans defense that we just saw Baker Mayfield shred and Mike Glennon is the only QB randomly in the league with the deep ball rate over 20 so he is slinging it just realized last week I mean he had three turnovers and the touchdown to LaVisca Chenault should have been an interception so you look at the snaps DJ Turk played 87 percent Keelan Cole, 69%. Colin Johnson, 55%. LaVisca Chenault 35%. Chris Conley, 11%. Like, what is LaVisca doing only playing 35%? Like, huh? It doesn't even make any sense. I think everything behind Chark is still muddled despite Johnson's uh, small success. Maybe he keeps on keeping on. I get it. The matchup isn't anything of a concern. But I would rather, you know, take a chance here with some, you know, contrarian GPP lineups. I think it's way too volatile of a situation to feel good about uh, in these, you know, key redraft playoff games. A couple of tight ends with to uh, send you all home. Cole Komet, Bears' new starting tight end. Last three games, he's played 70, 78, and 79 percent of the snaps with 13 combined targets along the way. Previously hadn't reached you know 50 percent or even three targets in a game. So Jimmy Graham has been under 50 percent snaps over the past two weeks, only five combined targets. Reminder: Jimmy Graham has a no-trade clause to the Chicago Bears. Unfreaking real. Good job, uh, you know. 20 what was it? 2017, 2018 GM of the year, Ryan Pace. Awesome job, man. But yeah, Cole Komet, he's looked good. He, look, he. He's the same touchdown dependent tight end, too, that Jimmy was. I think it's a little bit higher of, you know, a yardage floor because Comet's a better athlete at this point uh, in their careers. But, you know, just realize it, Jimmy Graham, it could, could not be, you know, less of a viable fantasy option. It is the Cole Komet show in Chicago. Question as to how good of a show that, uh, that will be, I hear you. But he is a viable, you know, uh, stre- a streamable and viable tight end, too, uh, with a little bit of upside that is probably on more waiver wires than not. Last point that I would caution against uh, getting is Dan Arnold, but the Cardinals You know had two catches for six two yards and a pair of touchdowns on three targets last week. Guys, he hasn't played 50% snaps in a game since week four. This is what we call fluky, uh, ladies and mostly gentlemen. He only played nine snaps last game, so he had three targets in it. You know, we've seen Kyler like throwing him the ball, but if we roster Dan Arnold like we're more or less hoping that on his one or two targets per game, he is going to come down with one of them for a score. So he's good, 10.2 yards per target. But if we were only playing good fantasy players, be, we would have been firing up Andy Isabella all season long, waiting for something to happen. Guess what? Nothing has. This Cardinals offense than DeAndre Hopkins in the passing game has pretty much been broke all year. I mean, look, Kyler, incredible fantasy asset, but he is first in, among all QBs in fantasy points from rushing production, 14th in, in fantasy points among all QBs in passing production, with the overwhelming majority of that going DeAndre Hopkins, and behind him, you know, usually Christian Kirk. So, Hopkins has been great. Kyler's been great. Everyone else, just a little bit inconsistent in year two of this Kingsbury-Kyler marriage. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, bringing new episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, Check me out on Twitter at IHart. It's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. Don't forget the Z. Things get weird in a hurry if you do. I tweet out the episodes and articles along the way throughout the week. So thank you for tuning in, as always. Happy Week 14. Go get that freaking fantasy football championship, everybody. We worked hard. We've made it here. Let's go get those Ws. So until next time, everybody, take care.